As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. What a Saturday. This is what we live for, Ari Wasserman. This is what we live for. We had Michigan exorcising the demons against Ohio State. We had Alabama pushed to four overtimes by Auburn in the Iron Bowl. First overtime game in Iron Bowl history. And of course, with the weird new rule this year, they went to penalty kicks. And then you had... An all-time classic bedlam where it looked for a moment like the same thing that happens to Oklahoma State every time would happen. Things just started to go awry. They started to go wrong. And then they came back. They took control. And then Oklahoma had one more shot left in them. But Caleb Williams could not make it happen. Oklahoma State wins the game. It is Oklahoma State-Baylor in the Big 12 title game. It is Michigan-Iowa. Oh, yeah. Who had the Hawkeyes in that game? That's right. Paul Bunyan's axe is in Minnesota now. And Alabama-Georgia in the SEC championship game. And, oh, by the way, Cincinnati's still undefeated, about to play Houston in the American championship game. Ari, is there any better day than Saturday? Who's got it better than us? Hey, if I start this podcast off annoying you, are you going to be mad? Um, you, uh, annoy me frequently. So why would I be mad? I think it's good for the show. I just was thinking how much worse today would be if the 12 team playoff was this year. Well, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) But everybody who lost today would still probably be in. Oh, you think, oh, Michigan would be unhappy, would not be as happy because they beat Ohio state. No, no, I know. But I, I think that part of the joy of Michigan is the fact that their arrival is seasons ruined. Oh, I think that's part of it. But I think just winning would be enough to make them very, very happy because they were not very good at winning that game recently. I don't know if you heard. No, I know. This is kind of a topic of conversation. Just the, uh, the consequences of what it would mean for the postseason. I think I'll miss these. Ari, Ari, you'd be staring down the barrel of Ole Miss, Ohio State in the quarterfinals. Come on. Who wouldn't want that? Yeah. I mean, there's Ole Miss is going to go to the Sugar bad. Bowl and play against some team that doesn't even want to be there. I'm not saying that instead the of being in the horseshoe in the will, snow, will, will uh, only it's not going to be the horseshoe because it'd be a quarterfinal game. And I'm not going to suck you back down into this debate, but um, it certainly There's was no debate. a. I'm right. It was, certainly was a very awesome Saturday, and I think part of the awesomeness is because of the consequences for losing and seasons and hopes officially. But yes, if you would have told me that. Iowa and Michigan would be facing in the Big Ten championship game this year. If Baylor and Oklahoma State would be in the Big 12, Wake Forest and Pitt in the ACC. Oregon and Utah, probably pretty believable. Alabama and Georgia, the most unbelievably believable thing in the world. But three out of the five Power Five Big 12 uh, conference championship games are absolute insanity. So certainly excited to break this stuff down and 
certainly excited to get into it. So you let me know where you want to start, but I have a feeling I know where that is. We're going to start in Ann Arbor, Ari, because <laughs> look, we said it. We, we talked about this Tuesday night and we talked about it again on Friday or on Wednesday slash Thursday's show. We wouldn't believe it until we saw it. While we saw it, that wasn't just a win for Michigan. That was an ass whipping. That was an utter annihilation of Ohio State up front. That was two elite pass rushers and especially Aiden Hutchinson just dominating a game. And then Michigan's offensive line was incredible. I I think I saw that Hassan Haskins had 104 yards before contact. 104 rushing yards before contact. That's how dominant Michigan's offensive line was on Saturday. So if you're going to break a streak, leave no freaking doubt. And and that's exactly what Michigan did. Yeah, you don't want to have any talking points or weird angles of fourth down spots that would have broken the streak. You want to break it by emphatically kicking the other team's butt and doing it in a way that it almost feels like they were taking out years of frustration out on Ohio State. So, it did. you know, it it was certainly, I'm assuming, a cathartic day for Michigan fans and, you know, definitely a day that Ohio State is going to have to use as a way to recalibrate, you know, how it's going to get back to the place that it was before Saturday. And, you know, I think both programs are kind of at an interesting crossroads right now because, one, um, you know, in the time covering Ohio State, I learned one thing. When they when they meet losses like this, program-altering, defining, I guess, depending on how dramatic you want to be on this Saturday, November 27th, it's usually met with change. And, you know, I, I wrote a tweet after the game was over, and I got a lot of people, like, calling me a moron. And I wanted to ask you if you think I'm a moron. You sent out tweet. a tweet that got people to call you a moron? I know, but I didn't think it you? was that controversial. I, I said... There, let me. I'm going to read it to you, and you tell me if you think this is as insane as people took it. There have been plenty of lows dating back to the beginning of the Urban Meyer era, but when has Ohio State been lower than this? Season lost because it got its ass kicked by Michigan. This is the type of game that results in major changes across the road for a program. And people were like, what are you talking about? It was one game. Uh, you're overreacting. You're spoiled. And all these crazy responses. And I just thought, like, has anybody followed Ohio State football. They demoted their longtime assistant who was there after a a week two loss to Oregon at home by seven. Of course there's going to be changes across the board because every time Ohio State's lost any game like this. Yes. Before they lost this game, you think that was dramatic? I thought it was just factual. And I think I think probably a lot of people missed the time element of that tweet. When, when you said, since the beginning of the Urban Meyer era. Sure. Because yeah. the fact of the matter is, there has not been a point this low for Ohio State since the beginning of the Urban Meyer era because they've been great for all of that time. And you the, can the, point the to the Iowa loss, really, Purdue. The, maybe the Purdue loss, the, the, uh, the, the pizza on the golf cart game against Michigan State in the, the 2013 Big Ten Championship, the 2015 Michigan State game in the regular season. But none of those were against Michigan. Nothing what, is worse than losing to Michigan. That's what makes this different. Yeah. And losing, not just losing to Michigan, it's a rivalry game. Obviously, that's terrible in and of itself. But losing in a game that would determine who's going to the Indianapolis and potentially into the playoff afterward makes it just as as tough as every other loss that we're talking about. So it's an interesting dynamic to think about like where Ryan Day is going to go from here because Ohio state certainly has been recruiting at a high level. Uh, their team will be very, very good again next year. They will have very good, very, very good players. It'll be very interesting to see what he does with his staff and how he wants to fix that defense, which has clearly had issues all year. Um, the more interesting thing to me is the Michigan side of things, you know, and I know some people find it to be more interesting to dissect the loser and I'm certainly into that, but now I think Michigan's situation is so much more fascinating because, A, let's just get this out there right now, Andy. There's no Ohio State, there's no Clemson, and there probably isn't going to be an Alabama in the playoff this year, which means that Michigan, which is probably going to be the number two seed on Tuesday, 
has a legitimate shot of beating whoever they're faced with in week in, in the first semifinal of the playoff, which means if they're favored or laying points in a semifinal game, they have a legitimate shot of getting to the national championship and being four quarters away from winning it all this year, which if you would have told me two months ago, I would have laughed in your face hysterically like you're a psychopath. So A, obviously that Michigan still has to take care of business next week. Iowa's a pesky team, but I anticipate that Michigan will not only make the playoff, but has a very good chance of winning a playoff game. But but really, the, the main question here, Andy, is if you're Michigan's administration, how do you handle the Harbaugh situation? And how has your viewpoint changed of Jim Harbaugh and his ability to lead that program um, moving forward? And especially in the context of the Big Ten East giving James Franklin and Mel Tucker 10-year uh, Illuminati deals. I think it's what the other schools did more than anything that, that probably forces Michigan's hand on this. I, I think that Jim Harbaugh should get what he's got because remember the way they restructured that contract, they cut his pay in half, but if he did all the things that he's supposed to do, he was going to make it all back for the most part. It, you have to win the national title to, to get it all back, but it, I mean, he's going to get most of it back this year based on what he's already done, especially if they, they go ahead and beat Iowa and win the, the Big Ten title. So you know, I think coaches should have to earn that, but clearly the other the other schools in the Big Ten East don't. And so, you know, if you've got James Franklin making what he's making with, with so much guaranteed and you got Mel Tucker making, you know, $9.5 million with, with all of it guaranteed, you probably do have to, do something with Harbaugh, although Harbaugh's a different cat. I don't, how much does he care about that? How much does he care what he's paid relative to the other guys in the, in the division? I, I'm guessing somewhat, but would he care as much as the, the average coach would? I don't know. Cause he's, he's wired differently than, than most of these coaches, which is part of the reason why they offered him the, the cut your pay in half deal in the first place. So I think what they'll probably do is give him a long-term extension with more money. I don't think they necessarily have to, but do you think that's the right great move? job? Like, are you back in on? No, I don't think Jim it's the right Harbaugh's move for anybody, guy. Ari. I don't think anybody should lock themselves into ten years with somebody because eventually they're going to get sick of them. Or, yeah, let, or let me let me one party it. will get sick of the other. Because I agree with you, ten-year, hundred million-dollar deals is a tough thing to to do, and it only takes a two-week swing in a regular season to change your mind about that future. Like how good was Texas A&M feeling about Jimbo Fisher uh, a month and a half ago. And now it's just like, right. Oh my God, here we are. Or how good. Now, was- now they're probably like, they're probably like, no Jimbo, you stay in Baton Rouge. Don't get on the plane. Yeah. You just stay there. And like, and even the same we'll, thing we'll with find somebody else with James Franklin, the guy's a five loss coach for the second consecutive year. And I know that COVID was its most, uh, frequent season would be maybe something that you throw away, but it's still two five lost seasons. So the question really isn't so much about whether or not you believe that Michigan should give them a, a Harbaugh 10 year deal that keeps them around forever, no matter what. But how about we, we make it less stake so we can kind of discuss our viewpoint. What is your viewpoint of Jim Harbaugh as the head coach of Michigan? And how has that changed in the last 24 hours? Oh, it changes everything. I, you, you can say this is just one game, but it's not just one game. There's a reason they call it the game or the game or the, you know, I don't, is it the game or the game, Ari? Um, the Ohio State University. Is it the game or the I, game? I think it's the because the is emphasis on it. The game. Okay. So it's the game. But it does change everything because the idea was Jim Harbaugh can win all these games he's supposed to win, but they never win what they're not supposed to win. He can never beat Ohio State. He can never get over the hump. Well, twice this season, they won as an underdog. They beat Wisconsin, and they beat Ohio State as underdogs. That is a monkey off the back. Then he gets over the Ohio State hump and gets over it emphatically. Like, he built this team, Ari. This isn't him inheriting somebody else's players and that's the team that physically dominated Ohio State. This is a team that Jim Harbaugh himself built through recruiting. And so now I look at it like, okay, why can't he do this again? Why can't he do this every few years? Is he going to do it every year? I don't think so. Ohio State's too good for that. Is he going to do it most years? I don't think so. Ohio State's too good for that. Is he going to do it sometimes? Now I believe he can. 
I needed to I see it, the and idea, now I've seen it. I think that you're right. The idea of sometimes is what the game needed. I yes. Mean, that's what the rivalry needed. It doesn't have to be it's Michigan wins anymore. 80%. Hopelessness is killing it. And not only did Michigan win, but Harbaugh got his uh, swagger back a little bit, too, with that. Oh. You know, because like, if you all remember it. what Jim Harbaugh was like the first year or two that he was ahead of Michigan, he was, you know, taking shots at people. He was climbing trees. He was sleeping over at recruits' house. And, you know, he was a very eccentric man and more outwardly vocal about things. Um and then after the Ohio State game, he uh, basically said that Ryan Day, because he was clearly talking about Ryan Day, was a person on third base who whoa, thought no, he hit a triple. Let's, let's, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's just oh, listen okay, to you have the clip. Jim Harbaugh okay. say it. We have the video. So we'll, we'll let Jim Harbaugh tell us about, all about it. You obviously have been building to this also, but what about this opponent and things that they have done in the past, things that have been said, all that has gone on in this rivalry? How much did that push you guys today in the final game what did i mean there's uh yeah i mean i know the probably things you're thinking of the same as i'm thinking of but i mean let's move on with humble hearts take the high road but uh yeah there's there's definitely stuff that you know people said that spurred us on even more sure sometimes people that standing on third base think they hit a triple you know but they didn't thanks let's take the high road no let's not that was the best part of the quote is saying you're going to take the high road and then doing the exact opposite interestingly enough the first time i ever heard that phrase was from urban meyer it was when uh florida won the national title in in 2006 and he was talking about the freshman in 2007 and he talked about how they they were you know kind of were acting like they had something to do with the national title that had been won before they got there. And, and that was exactly the phrase he used. Uh, but Ryan Day did inherit a really good situation from Urban Meyer. That is true. Uh, Jim Harbaugh probably didn't inherit the best situation from Brady Hoke. But I, I'm good with that. I want, I want that rivalry as spicy as humanly possible. So if Jim Harbaugh and Ryan Day want to verbally spar their way through this rivalry for the next... 10, 15 years, by all means, go for it. Well, is the thought that Ryan Day was born on third base? Oh, I don't think he was. But he did inherit a really good situation. He didn't have yeah. to build that. Yeah, not having to build it, I think, is I, that's what he's alluding to, I'm assuming, right? Um, and here's the thing. So. If you if you win a game the way that Michigan won that game, just you can say whatever you want. Say whatever the hell you, got 30, you want. You got exactly. 365 games to, or days to enjoy it. And, you know, part of the rivalry is hating each other. Part of the rivalry is taking shots. And part of the reason is gloating and, um, you know, taking your victory lap when you've well deserved that. So, to me, like, I think this is great. And I hope that if anything else comes from this, it's that Harbaugh will return to being the Jim Harbaugh that he was when he first got hired. Because acting the way that he used to act wouldn't work well um, when you're losing. Because being you know, outwardly opinionated or saying things that aren't very popular when you're losing doesn't jive. Um, But now that they have this under their belt, you know, beating at this team, I'm very curious what that's going to mean for Michigan's recruiting, what this means for the staff, what it means for his longevity at at Michigan's program in terms of financials and contracts and all that stuff, and what it means in general for, you know, where those rivalries going to be headed. Because, like you said, it is just one game. It's not just one game. It is a game. But some people might view that it, it is just one game. And, you know, it is going to be fascinating to see the manifestation of what this rivalry will mean. And it was uh, Jim Harbaugh versus Urban Meyer for the first five or six years of, of Harbaugh's tenure. But now it's a new coach. It's a new playing field. And now he's one and one against Ryan Day. And it seems to me that the rivalry's got some juice in it for the first time in, what, 20 years? It's just one game, but it is one game that suggests that all things are possible. And, and that's the difference. Now, when we come back... We'll talk about another just one game, the Iron Bowl. The first time in that series storied history that it went to overtime. We've got a weird, dumb Heisman overreaction to this game that that disturbs me a little bit, Ari. But then also, what does it mean for Alabama going forward? We'll be right back. We're talking Iron Bowl. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back. We got to talk Iron Bowl now, Ari. Alabama did not look good for much of this game. They were pretty much sunk. And, you know, it, it, there was a pretty amazing play toward the end of this game that, you know, everybody is banging on Tank Bigsby for going out of bounds on a third. It was a, it was a second 11, and he gained 10 yards, I think. And then they didn't get the third and one, and they, they had to punt. Uh, but they're, they're banging on on him for, for not staying in bounds. But if you watch that play again, he was trying to stay in bounds. And Jordan Battle, the safety for Alabama, just grabs him and yanks him out of bounds. Jordan Battle saved that game for Alabama because he saved 40 seconds that if Alabama doesn't have those 40 seconds, they do not tie the game. They do not go to overtime and we're having a very different conversation, but that was an extremely exciting finish to that game. And listen, it's one of those things. It's still an event every time Alabama is possibly going to lose. And so everybody's watching, everybody's talking about it. I don't know that this changes the way I feel about the SEC championship game, whether they'd won this game or lost this game. I, st- I think they're going to lose to Georgia. I don't think Georgia's going to have much of a problem with them. But do you think Alabama still has a chance to make the playoff if, if they lose to Georgia. Because no. you and I have said this all along that we don't, but everybody keeps worrying about this. I, I think this is further evidence that if they lose to Georgia, they're out. It's one thing to, like, rock shit and beat everybody handily and look like the Bama of the of the past and, you know, go into the Georgia game and lose a close game and maybe they get in, as a, but they don't look good on the way. And... You know, I think people believe that Alabama is going to play by their own rules and the committee gives them preferential treatment. And it blows my mind because Alabama wins the national championship all the time. So clearly their inclusion in the debate is warranted or or not debate in in the playoff is warranted. I don't necessarily believe that to be the case this year. So, you know, I know that the field keeps kind of opening up behind it and we're not necessarily sure who the fourth team is going to be in there. But um, Alabama, to me, I think would have been a four-point underdog in the SEC championship game. And I think now that we got another look at them, they might be, you know, somewhere in the six to seven and a half range, which, you know, I still think Georgia is going to cover. But my anticipation, Andy, is that Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama, all three will not be in the playoff this year, which will open things up. But can I ask you a question? Because I know that everybody is freaking out about how Bigsby didn't go out of bounds there. And of yes. course, uh, Auburn was Bixby on did one, go out of bounds. That was the or problem. going out of bounds. Sorry, and, and stopping the clock. Alabama also was one yard away from winning the game two other times earlier in that game. But you know how much money Brian Harson makes a year? A lot. Five point two five million dollars. And do you think somebody who's paid five point two five million dollars should have gone for two at the end of the first overtime? And use that nifty two-point conversion play that they used when the penalty kick started and won the game? You have the inferior team. If you have the inferior team, you go for two. How on earth could he want to extend that football game? It was so abundantly clear that Auburn wasn't going to score again. How could you possibly not go for two? You watched Kansas do it against Texas two weeks ago. Like, this is... And this isn't even one of those analytics things that's even debatable. Like, this is... This is chapter and verse, college football. I mean, overtime's been around since 96. But chapter and verse, college football dogma. If you have the inferior team, 
and both of you score a touchdown and you're the second team on offense in overtime, you go for two to end the game. Because your chances of winning are much better on that one play than it is the longer the game goes on. Yep. It's, I just thought it was simple. And ironically enough, too, uh, Auburn kicked the field goal predictably on their next possession and then somehow held Alabama to three uh, to extend it into that penalty kick type new overtime rules. And their first two-point conversion attempt play was awesome, which made it play. even worse that they didn't go for two the first time. Yeah, it, and, and remember, you've got a quarterback who's playing on one leg. Do you want to put it on one play or, or try to make that guy play a bunch more plays against a defensive line that, while it's not the, the best it's ever been, it may have the best player on the field. Will Anderson's the best player on the field in that game and, and showed it multiple times. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know why you, you extend that game. You, you've got to you got to think that through. Well, well, Harson and Auburn's an interesting. They're just a weird mix. They've got the vaccine deadline coming up. He said he hasn't said whether he's vaccinated or not. Uh, December eighth, you have to show that you've been vaccinated. But if, if that's the case, you have to have got either gotten your second shot of Pfizer or Moderna or a shot of Johnson and Johnson by last Thursday or last Wednesday. So like. I don't know what happens there. We saw what Washington State did to Rolovich, which, by the way, congratulations to Coach Dickert. You won the Apple Cup, and you're going to be the Washington State head coach, it sounds like. Jake Dickert. It's a good way to get the job, I think. Well, and he did an amazing job. But but Brian Harson now into the... It, Maybe in the same situation as Rolovich, we don't know yet. We'll find out. I mean, that somebody's going to have to say something. And if he's still the coach after December 8th, then I think we know what happened. So whether he says something or not, we know what he did. So, but that's, that's just a weird deal. I, I, I don't understand why you, because Finley was clearly hurt. He hurt his ankle in the fourth quarter. He was limping very badly. They didn't have a, a scholarship player to back him up. They, you know, he's he's in there because Bo Nix got hurt. So I don't know. I, and and I that defense played such a great game. The Auburn defense was fantastic. I hate to see that they had to lose a game because of that decision. Because you're right on that two point conversion, they probably win the game. Yeah, I mean, they were in a position to win that game four or five different times. You know, Alabama did not have it on Saturday night, and Auburn, you know, really had them on the ropes at home, and it's just like you want to get out of there. You don't want to keep playing against Alabama. It's like blackjack at a casino. You don't want to keep playing when you're winning. The longer you play, the more likely it is you're going to lose. That's exactly right. And predictably, Ari, because Bryce Young did have a decent end of the fourth quarter in overtime, there was a lot of chatter, and like Pro Football Focus was out, put this out right after. Did Bryce Young have his Heisman moment? No, he didn't have his Heisman moment. He was 25 of 51 for 317 yards, which sounds like a lot, but he attempted 51 passes. 6.2 yards per attempt is not a lot. It's not good. The he best the player on Alabama's team. What's that? He won the Heisman on that last drive in regulation. He's not even the best player on Alabama's team. I'm not telling he you I agree with it. I'm telling you what happened. I read he a can't. column on The Athletic on Saturday night saying that my ballot is going to be three defensive players. I don't know what order it's going to be I, yet. Mine, but I, mine very likely will be. And, mine if very my, li- but, uh, and if my ballot is three defensive players, then that obviously is pretty clear about where I stand on the Heisman vote. But what I will say is that people who vote for this trophy aren't nuanced enough to understand that. And they're just going to take the layup. It, it is, and Bryce it is Young is so the layup. Inf- Infuriating. I was talking to another vo- another voter today, and they're like, "Well, you know, I, I I just don't know if I have the expertise to vote for a defensive player." I'm like, "Then don't vote. Don't vote." Why do you even have a battle then, or like, why do you even have a ballot then? Yeah, and and so listen, this is not complicated. If the person is not the best player in Tuscaloosa County, they can't possibly be the most outstanding player in the country. Will Anderson is the best player in Alabama. If you vote for an Alabama player, 
Will Anderson is the only person you can vote for. He's the best player. Now, some years there is a legitimate debate about who the best player on the team is. Last year might have been one of those. I think, I think they got it right. Devontae was probably the, be- the best player of Devontae Smith, Mac Jones, and, and Najee Harris. Uh, but Will Anderson is the best player on Alabama's team. Jordan Davis is the best player on Georgia's team. Aiden Hutchinson is the best player on Michigan's team. Chris Olave is probably the best player on Ohio State's team. Like, these are the people you should be voting for. Because, again, the most outstanding player in the country, and I shouldn't have to tell anyone this, but apparently we do, also must be the most outstanding player on his own team. Preaching to the choir, man. You really are. I, I just don't know if people put enough time into voting uh, to really put the research in and to understand that the award isn't just given to Alabama quarterback A or Ohio State quarterback B. It is given out to the most outstanding player in college football. And a mentor of mine once told me how to view uh, or how he views voting for the Heisman long before I got my vote and his take was that every college football season has a story and he wants to pick the player that exemplifies that story through their play in the most excellent manner. And, you know, some years Johnny Manziel is the story and most years it's a sexy offensive player who makes awesome plays because America loves scoring touchdowns. But this year there is a genuine Void for no doubt about it, offensive skill stud. There's no Joe Burrow this year. There's no Tua this year or whatever whatever quarterback that you can come up with that deserves the award. And really, frankly, there isn't even a uh, Devontae Smith this year, even though there are a lot of very good individual talents at that position. So the story of this year is great defense. And I don't know which way I'm going to go, but giving it to the best player on Georgia's defense when Georgia's defense is literally the entire story of this season and likely is going to be the thing that wins the national championship this year makes a lot of sense to me. Aiden Hutchinson has 13 sacks and single-handedly stopped college football's best offense from functioning at at a good level on Saturday. Will Anderson, you can make the case that no defensive player makes a big impact on as many plays as him. And I think I read a stat online somewhere, and I don't even know if this is true, Andy, but check me if I'm wrong. But I read that if you took away all of Will Anderson's sacks this year, he would still have more tackles for loss than Aiden Hutchinson. Like, if that's an illustration okay. of how how impactful he is on defense. And it's like, are you actually me, just going to go give it to Bryce Young? Because he's the quarterback? Let me, read you, let me read you a stat line. You ready? Sure. 14 games, 85 tackles, 20.5 tackles for loss, 12 sacks. It's a really good season. An, like a elite all-world season for a defensive lineman. You know who that is? It's Indomitian Sue in, in 2009. What we consider to be the most dominant defensive season this century. Now, I realize Will Anderson plays a different position. He's an edge rusher. Sue is an interior lineman. So, yes, Sue racking up that many tackles as an interior lineman is truly amazing but i just want to throw this out there will anderson has played 12 games so he needs to play two more to match the number that sue played Uh, obviously he's only got one more before people vote for heisman but 12 games will anderson has 86 tackles 30.5 tackles for loss and 14 and a half sacks 30.5 tackles for loss is that good yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> Do you think a defensive player will win it this year? No. No, I think I think some offensive player will win it with probably the lowest number of first place votes in the history of the Well, who the do you think is going to New York? I do think Jordan Davis and Will Anderson and Aiden Hutchinson one or all of those three have a good chance of making it to New York. But I don't think they're going to win. So I think it'll Young? it'll probably be Bryce Young or 
What other quarterback could be? Kenny Pickett, if he has a big Desmond game. Desmond Ritter. Des Ritter. I, you know, I think Des Ritter is going to get dinged by the by the group of five thing. Yeah, so, I mean, I C.J. Stroud, who was minus 150 and the only player coming into the weekend with negative odds or minus odds to win the Heisman Trophy has been eliminated from the discussion, I assume, right? So he's out. I would think so. Um, it really is kind of one of those things where voters will look at who is remaining based on records and just vote for Bryce Young, number one, because they don't know who else to vote for. And and honestly, if they do that, they're idiots. Anybody who votes for, for a guy who is not the best player on his own team is an idiot and should have their vote revoked. I hate to tell this. I'm throwing our colleagues here under the bus. But our straw poll at The Athletic, Bryce Young ran away with number of first place votes from our colleagues at The Athletic. They need to start watching the games a little a little harder. Sorry, guys. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> so, because I, I know where my, what, what my straw poll has said. I haven't so voted me. Bryce Young or CJ Stroud once all year in any of the three spots. By the way, so I, I'm on CFBStats.com. I'm going back through uh, the previous years. Not a single player has finished a season with 30 and a half tackles for loss since 2009. No one. Man, Will Anderson already has 30.5. He could potentially play. He's, he's going to play at least two more games. He could play more than that if they make the playoff, but I don't think they're going to. That's uh, the first place votes points in the Heisman straw poll and the athletic from last week had Bryce Young, number one, with 42 votes for first place. And C.J. Stroud, 21 points for first place. How many did Will Anderson get? 27. But that's wasn't, good. But that's, wasn't, uh, that's promising. But still, was he was fourth on the list. Jordan Davis was sec- uh, third. Kenneth Walker, that, I wonder I wonder if promising. Kenneth Walker, uh, where he'll be when we do this again this weekend. But the first two were quarterbacks. C.J. Stroud's going to fall out of that discussion, and I bet you every single person who voted for C.J. Stroud last week will automatically pick Bryce Young. Well, I'm telling you now, if you are within the sound of my voice, stop it. Do not pick someone who isn't the best player on his own team. I don't know. I've got a really bad memory. I'm not like the encyclopedia of college football knowledge the way that you are, but I'd be very curious to go back and look at past Heisman winners and really figure out how many of them were 1,000% the best players on their team. It's like Joe Burrow had the most uh, impressive single season in the history of college football for the quarterback position. It's like you could make the argument he was not the best player on his own team. Uh, I don't think you could make that. Yes, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Clyde Edwards-Alaire were all awesome. But Joe Burrow was the straw that stirred the drink on that team. I'll, I'll tell you what the last Heisman winner who wasn't the best player on his own team was. That's It's easy because it, it's the year that Sue should have won. It was 2009. Mark Ingram was probably the third best player on Alabama that year. Mike Johnson, who was an offensive guard, and, and Rolando McClain, the linebacker, were probably better and more important to Alabama that year. Yeah, I want to go back and Dante look. Dante Hightower's on that team too. Especially with the... the um... Like, Lamar Jackson clearly was. Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, I get it. Oklahoma Derek, Derek Henry's an interesting one. Was Derek Henry the one? Because whenever you'd start talking about Alabama no, I, the more the, the, the more I think of the Derek Henry one, the more I think we got that one. It, Deshaun, I, so, Deshaun Watson, I, I had, I believe I had Deshaun Watson first on my ballot that year. But I had Derek Henry second, and I think, the folks who voted Derrick Henry first, I think they might have been right because he was the, the the engine that drove Alabama through the end of that season. Alabama ended up winning the national title in a, in a classic game against Clemson and and Deshaun Watson. Uh, and he's just a cyborg. He was just a cyborg. Like all of the stuff we we think about now with with Derrick Henry, and obviously he he's hurt this year, but the the just unusually just I don't know. 
he's an unusual back. He's not a typical back. You know, yeah. he, he's more durable. He, he gets better as the game goes on, all that stuff. But I do think they got that right on that, and I might have gotten that wrong looking back. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, the quarterback on his team that year was Jake Coker, and then they won the national championship yeah. that year. Um, but Damian <laughs> that, Harris was on that defense. roster. Kenyon Drake was on that roster. Uh, O.J. Howard. Yeah, Kenyon Drake had a huge kickoff return in the, in the national title game, but Derrick Henry was the most important player. There were a couple games down the stretch that they don't win without Derrick Henry. Calvin Calvin Ridley was on that Calvin team. Yeah. And it's kind of hard, too, because like if you go back and look at some of the also, I could make this case, and you will laugh at this, but I could make the case that nobody on that team, that Alabama team, played their position better than their punter did. Oh, J.K. Scott? He was yeah. awesome that year. Yeah, he was fantastic. But I, I, I think the Derrick Henry thing is fine, even though I didn't have him first time. It's just ballot. funny because when I you start Watson talking first. about the Alabama-type rosters or teams that are built like Alabama, there's probably offensive linemen that are better playing offensive linemen than the offensive skill player that won it. And it's just like, I think normalizing the award for the best overall player would be great because everybody, everybody knows that this is an offensive award and maybe it is what it is, but like an interior defensive lineman winning this award this year, I think would be good for the sport in a year where uh, power five conferences are expanding and, and losing members, Texas and Oklahoma are off to the sec uh, the playoff is on the verge of expanding to 12 teams. Um, Ohio State and Clemson are not playing in the college football playoff, and Alabama might be sh- uh, shortly added to that list. It's like, why not get funky with it this year? Absolutely, absolutely. So I, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens because it, the straw poll numbers for Anderson and, and Davis give me some hope. Because if I pound on this and you pound on well, this, I, I, I know there's a bunch of other people pounding on this. First place the last three weeks. Yeah. I, I know there's a bunch of other people pounding on this. I, I think we're going to at least get one or two of them to New York, and, and maybe there's a chance that somebody wins it. We'll, we'll see. But speaking of great defense, Ari, we, we've got to talk about a team that has been great on defense all year that got pushed to the brink this, this night in a game that usually just falls apart for them, but they figured it out. We're going to talk about Oklahoma State's win in Bedlam after these words. So Ari, Oklahoma State, it felt like it was slipping away in the third quarter. You know, they, they, they muffed the punt. Oklahoma recovers for the touchdown. I think Oklahoma had the safety just before that. And it felt like one of those deals where Oklahoma State has this great defense all year, and then things that are outside that defense's control conspire to cost Oklahoma State bedlam, and they lose again. But they didn't. They came back. They held off a late surge from from Oklahoma's offense, and Caleb Williams tried to make some magic there at the very end and couldn't. I this this was a just a phenomenal game. So after a day of really great games, that was your nightcap. That's a pretty good way to end it. When Caleb Williams broke off that 55-yard run or whatever it was on that last oh possession, I thought I was he was like, gone. It's, it's done. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it does. I think I read a stat somewhere that Caleb Williams was like 8 for 13 in the second half for like 85 yards passing. And Oklahoma State's defense, which seemed to forget how to play defense in the first half of that game, showed up and then the game appropriately ended on a sack. And I think it is great that the team that was better this year won that game. Yes. Like Oklahoma State from start to finish was a better football team this year than Oklahoma. And I'm very excited to see a playoff uh, entry level game potentially um, for them in the Big 12 championship game against a team that's new blood or, you know, hasn't been in it for quite some time in Baylor because, you know, Oklahoma and Texas are always the talking points and most certainly were the talking points this year. Baylor was in in the Big 12 title game two years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, Oklahoma State is a playoff team, I think. Well, they've got to beat Baylor a second time, which is not going to be an easy task. But, I mean, if they do, I, they're in, right? It, who who keeps them out? Alabama beating Georgia is probably the only scenario that keeps them out if they win, right? Yes, I think that's I think that's correct. And that's assuming that everybody else wins in front of them. Right, and, and Cincinnati, Cincinnati has a tough game thing and is not Michigan a given. Has a tough game. I'm not sure Michigan has a shoe in to win their game yet either. Correct. 
Um, Notre Dame. Yeah. What happens in Notre Dame? Are they are they in uh, well, a let, weird let me ask spot? Because I feel like yeah, twelve and one Oklahoma State, Big Twelve, Big Twelve champ versus eleven and one Notre Dame. It's Who you Oklahoma got State. If, if, if it's four and five, this there there is an agreement. Then you tell me this because you know more about the Notre Dame independence, but I think I've heard you mm-hmm. say this before. Notre Dame will accept its fate as having to be undefeated to make the college football playoff in exchange to remain independent. Correct. And this year, and with the they, four team, with the four, with team, the four yeah. team, right? And this year, not being affiliated with a conference or playing in a conference championship game or winning a conference is going to be the thing that keeps them out unless there's some weird things that happen and Oklahoma state loses, but Notre Dame still being in the discussion right now is crazy to me. Like they did it. I know. And I think it's I, awesome. But I the fact that was... we're even discussing this is insane. No, they've gotten much better as the year has gone on, but yeah. a lot of that, they also haven't played anybody very good. The, the one decent team they were going to play in November was Virginia and Brennan Armstrong didn't play in that game. So they didn't even really get the best version of Virginia. And so, I mean, yes, if everything else falls that way, then, then they have a shot, but I don't think they have any chance if it comes down to them or a 12 and one Oklahoma state. I just don't. Yeah, no, no, I'm with you. I think it's a hundred percent the other way. So let's talk scenarios because this this could get pretty wacky here. The Iowa Michigan thing. Now you and I have uh, we we talked about this. We did a live room with uh, with our our the athletic subscribers where they can ask us questions and and we got asked about the Big Ten title game and and my thought was I can see Iowa being feisty defensively. I can see them maybe keeping Michigan from scoring as much as they did against Ohio State, but I'm just not sure how Iowa scores against Michigan. But let's let's say Spencer Petrus plays the game of his life and Iowa wins that game. And Alabama beats Georgia. Cincinnati wins. Baylor beats Oklahoma State. I think the playoff in that scenario would be Georgia 1, Cincinnati 2. I'm sorry, Alabama would Alabama would have beaten Georgia. Alabama would be 1, Cincinnati would be 2, Georgia would be 3 and Notre Dame would be 4. That'd be correct. That is the nightmare scenario for the alliance. <laughs> Yeah, no, that that's correct. But I do think that it's kind of fun to know that there isn't much debate now. You know, every year we spend so much time screaming about what if this happens and what if that happens. Everybody that's firmly in the discussion basically controls their own destiny, which is kind of cool. Um, you know, that's not 100% I know, that, I, true. I do like but that. It's kind of like in a scenario now where we can let go of the arguing and just let teams play. And however it pans out, it pans out. Now, obviously, there's weird things that can happen that, you know, you might have a uh, one-loss Big 12 champion being compared to somebody in, in the last, you know, Sunday beforehand. But for the most part, it does seem to have worked itself out quite nicely. And it, in a crazy way, too, because this was a chaotic year, but it wasn't chaos. Agreed. Agreed. And we're going to get some some different blood, which which we all want. Because even Georgia, Georgia's only made the playoff once. And we talk about them in the same vein as, as Alabama and Ohio State and Clemson a lot. But the fact of the matter is they, they only made it in 2017. So if it's, let's say Georgia, Michigan, Cincinnati, Oklahoma State, that's a, that's a complete reinvigoration of, of the playoff. That's an entirely new group of group of teams. And outside of Georgia, it's all the teams that you would think would stand to benefit from the expanded playoff, except they didn't Correct. need it to expand. Yeah. So you may say, well, that doesn't, that means they shouldn't expand. And I'll say, just wait till all the opt outs before the sugar bowl and the fiesta bowl. And that's why they should expand because there's nothing wrong with having more good games. Like that's the part people don't seem to get. They're like, well, if they, they don't deserve it. Who cares what they deserve? You don't like good games? 
with stakes. Well, S-T-A-K-E-S and also S-T-A-K-S. Like games with stakes while eating steaks are even better. You dropped but, an E on there, but yeah. Um, the one I thing I will I say that I will always push either. back at, I will always push back at it, and I think that hopefully it's something that you'll grow to love about me, is that Ohio State is freaking out now, and they deserve to be freaking out. They don't deserve to win the national championship this year. They got their ass kicked by their rival. They wouldn't their win the national championship got, in a 12 team. You don't want to put that but team They might in play there. a fun game against somebody. I wouldn't want to put that team in there. And if they want it, who, great. Who cares? The Atlanta Braves had the worst regular season record of any team in the Major League playoffs this year. Should they not been in the playoffs? Should they have not celebrated? Should they have been like, oh, well, I mean, I think, I think the that series, but there's I mean, two who types cares, of people really? who we didn't will, have a good regular season. There's only two ways huh? of, of, there's only two types of ways of viewing it. It's your way. Uh, where right you way. just want more games at the end of the year, and there's the other way where consequences for you losing want less regular good season games, games, which sounds really logical, <laughs> or making all the good games a little bit less exciting. Uh, you're not really. The Michigan Ohio State game would have been far less exciting today if the result of the game no, it didn't wouldn't matter. Have. I bet they would have stormed the field just the same if they hadn't beaten them since 2011. I'm sure that they would it, have had it a It matters. Yeah. yeah. Let's go uh let's go to Baton Rouge where things are going to get really spicy here in the next few days. But we had a result on the field that you know, all right, let's go back to to when Texas A&M beat Alabama and it looked like okay, they've got everything turned around. And you thought, okay, that you know this team has an outside shot, maybe still making the SEC championship game. Well, now Texas A&M finished the season four and four in the SEC. Ed Orgeron, who had already been fired, playing his last game in Tiger Stadium, coaching his last game in Tiger Stadium, beats Texas A&M. LSU scores, you know, with about twenty seconds to go. What happens now? I mean, I, I don't think Jimbo Fisher's going to LSU. I think he's been he's made his case very clear for why he's definitely still going to be at Texas A&M. He's been recruiting his butt off there. But what happens at LSU? Who gets this job? Well, Lincoln Riley said that he's not taking the job in his post-game press conference after Bedlam today. Okay. Well, so you can that, you can, that you eliminates can, that rumor. Although his wife did buy a house out there, didn't she? She's out there Oh, I heard preschools. She was, I, I do I do enjoy the the wife is looking for houses stories that can never possibly be confirmed. Uh, there were people I will tell you there were people at Oklahoma worried that were get, they felt like they were getting weird vibes going into the week going into the weekend. But if Lincoln Riley says that I don't expect him to go back on it. Like, and again it would have been very out of character for Lincoln Riley to to leave Oklahoma. He said for I am LSU. not going to be the head coach at LSU next year. Yeah, Nick Saban said the same thing about Alabama. No, I, 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 I believe Lincoln Riley when he says that. I, I don't think he's going anywhere. So who, who are you hiring now? Mark Stoops? I don't know. Come on, Ari, put your search firm hat on. Let's go. I, this is really, really tough. Um, I think Billy Napier would be my pick. Well, I don't think they're going to hire him because I think a school uh, near my domicile will be hiring him. <laughs> I think I think, think yeah. it feels like they're pretty far down the road on that. Yeah, that would be my like LSU home run, or I don't know if home runs the right word, like because that's an implication that things are going to be a hundred percent perfect. But just the background that he has and the type of coach that he is, I think he would fit really well at LSU. Um, Les Miles is off the off the table. I'm assuming, so I, I don't know. <laughs> Les Miles, <laughs> <laughs> totally kidding. I, I honestly, I don't know, man. I, I don't know who the. I, I think that Mark Stoops would be successful there. I like the idea of trying it, but I also feel like Mark Stoops is a huge risk because of the recruiting stuff. 
but maybe it's less of a risk at LSU because LSU has Louisiana in its back pocket. You're, you're saying because he's not had to recruit at that level. Yeah, yeah, before. he's he's been a developmental coach that gets leftovers. Well, he hasn't, been but the he coach. has recruited that level as an assistant. When yeah. when he was Jimbo Fisher's defensive coordinator at Florida State, they they helped he helped build a national title roster. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, Mark Stoops has certainly earned the right to give it a shot. And I think okay. if you're Do going think, to... Matt, but let me finish one last thought. Go ahead. If you are going to make the risk of hiring a person who hasn't recruited at that level as a head coach yet, then the best place for that person to start would be in Louisiana at LSU. Because you might get 7 to 10 top 150 players in your class every single year without working out that hard. And that gives you time mm-hmm. to recruit big time players elsewhere. And I think that right. transitioning from middle tier program that recruits middle tier prospects to the Florida Gators is probably a lot harder to do than doing it to LSU. Now, again, well, you're talking about Mark Stoops, but like Billy Napier He's been at Alabama. He's been at Clemson. So he's he's been at the places that that recruit like that. And and again, but I don't, so ca- is Mark I don't consider Billy Napier to be in that that category. I feel like Mark Stoops is in the Dan Mullen category. I I don't think they're the same type of recruiter. I think Mark Stoops is probably a little more aggressive. Now, and certainly more that, successful in doing what he did. He annexed an entire state. So, like, I'm not trying part, to sell him store, short, but that state yeah, is much further Ohio, away from Louisiana. But, but I, I get your point. Annexing Ohio doesn't help you as the LSU coach, necessarily. That's not really what you want to do. So, it, it is geographically great on to paper, do when you're the Kentucky coach. On yeah, paper, but when you're the Kentucky coach, paper, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. Go find so, a coach at a middle-tier program in the SEC that is uh, – done better than the expectations and then bring them to a powerhouse and expect them to win a national championship is the same thing on paper that got Florida into hot water to begin with. And I think, I think taking that person to Florida and expecting them to be successful at Florida is a higher ask than doing it at LSU though. I think that the the road to winning at LSU is much shorter than it is at Florida. I I would agree with that. All right. Do we think Matt Campbell is going to go anywhere? That's another guy that I would be afraid of. If he went to LSU or if he um, went to USC? Actually, I think that LSU is such a good job that they could get away. They have more margin for error, I think, with their next hire. Um, I just don't know how. What about USC? It's hard. You know, Matt Campbell has proven that he has a great eye for recruiting talent. He also... Um, has hired a staff that has done a very good job of of uncovering the gems and developing players and turning his culture into a five-star culture despite not having five-star players. You understand all that. At USC, you got to go win LA. It's a different job. Yeah. It's a different so it's like asking how do you think that would go is kind of just a tough thing because I think these guys have earned the benefit of the doubt of expecting them to be successful. But also, sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. So I, when, when Jimmy Lake got fired at Washington, my initial response was, go hire Kalani Sataki. That makes perfect sense. That makes, you know, it seems like such a natural fit. The identity of his BYU teams feels like it'd be a perfect identity for Washington. And somebody brought this up to me yesterday. And I hadn't even thought about this. But I'm watching, I, I'm looking at my TV right now, and BYU is playing at USC. What about Kalani Sataki at USC? I mean, hasn't he beaten like four Pac-12 teams each of the last three years or something? Oh, B- well, BYU is the Pac-12 South champ, if we're really being real here. Yeah. Like, they yeah. they are the Pac-12 South champ this year. They did beat Utah, and they beat Arizona State, and they're beating USC currently. They may not end up winning this game. They did just throw a pick at the beginning of the third quarter. But... No, they, they've shown they can. He's shown they can build a roster to win the Pac-12 South at BYU. Imagine at USC. I did a story on the Athletic last week, ranking which new members of the Big Twelve are going to have the most uh, 
improvements based on the expansion uh, or joining a Power 5 conference in recruiting. And I learned a little bit more about BYU than I knew. And the fact that he's been able to build a team as good at as as they are at BYU is a, a freaking miracle. Like the limitations that BYU has with religion, the recruiting pool, the types of players that would want to go there when they're not uh, LDS. Like there's a lot to that. And like being a team that people thought should be in the playoff discussion last year, it's like I don't even know how you begin to get to that point. And like it is super impressive to me. That's what I'm saying. I had not thought about this. I, I think it was Alan Taylor, our Gators beat writer, who who brought this up to me when we were just talking talking about different coaching situations. And he said, well, "Why not talk you at, at at USC? You keep talking about him in Washington." I'm like, why not? That actually sounds pretty awesome. So. I, I am very curious. I think we're going to find out who the identity of all these people are. The new USC coach, the new LSU coach, uh, the new Washington coach, the new Virginia Tech coach, uh, the new Florida coach. Again, I think Billy Napier is probably the new Florida coach. Uh, waiting, to, waiting to hear when that is. He said after the, the Louisiana Monroe game on Saturday that no decision had been made yet, but he didn't say, I'm not going anywhere. He just said no decision had been made yet. So we'll, we'll see with him. But, and then, and then, and then the domino effect down the chain, because we mentioned Mark Stoops, you know, if he were to leave, what, what, where, who does Kentucky hire? If Matt Campbell goes somewhere, who does Iowa state hire? If Kalani Sataki goes somewhere, who does BYU hire? I mean, they, they're, this is going to be an absolutely bonkers week, Ari. Yeah, I know. It's you think that the games are crazy enough, and now all of a sudden we got this coaching carousel going, and you know the sport is just so beautiful. It's so exciting, and I just can't wait to continue breaking it down with the end of the future. It will be a lot of fun. We may or may not have like five emergency podcasts this week, depending on how this coaching carousel stuff goes, but. We'll, we'll be talking about that. We'll be talking about the rankings. Uh, you'll have Power Hour with Nicole Auerbach and, and Michael Felder on Tuesday. Uh, you'll have Stars Matter with Ari and Mitch Light. You'll have One True Pod with Sam and Jason and Max talking Big 12 on Thursday. And then Ari and I will be talking rankings. We'll be talking games, point spreads. Oh, and Ari, before we go, we have not figured out a date for this, but I lost a bet. That's and we've right. got to cash it in. Bring that up. So, yeah. So Oregon is not making the playoff. We we know this, and did not go twelve and one. They're not going to go twelve and one. So I have to fast for twenty four hours at one point. So here's what we're going to do. I've got to. I'm I'm going to get the page set up, and we're going to do a charity drive with Feeding America, and you guys will pledge per hour that I fast up to twenty four. I'm telling you right now, I'm going to make 24. I may even try to go for bonus hours. but And it will go to, to food banks across the country. And I, I just think it, it'll be a, a good holiday season project for all of but us. I, I, even uh, though I won the bet, I want to join you and help. I want to awesome, do it too. Awesome. So we got to figure out when we want to do it. I don't know if we can do it this week. We, we may do it uh, after the Heisman and everything just to get all that out of the way. Uh, because... We may need to have an episode because the way the way we're going to do it is we're going to record an episode that opens as we open hour twenty three of our fast. So you get ravenously hungry, me and and Ari, and there's no telling what we're going to say at that point. So yeah, why don't we why don't we try to do it after the early signing period, like that's after a great December fifteenth, we'll, like in between yeah, the fifteenth so we'll, we'll and the twentieth. Yeah, we'll do it between the early signing day and Christmas and. Um, you know, just be thinking about it, and and if anybody else wants to join in with us, and and you know, I'm I'm gonna pledge some as well. Uh, I just think it, it's it's a good cause, especially this time of year when when a lot of people need it. But uh, it, it it'll be fun, and I I am convinced I can do 24 hours. Already, I've I've already started strategizing. Like, what's my last meal gonna be before the 24 hours begins? Uh, I imagine this is like what the the 24 hour at Le Mans race drivers go through except they're driving cars very fast for 24 hours and that's not nearly the same thing but <laughs> we'll 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 get it figured out but i will get that page set up and and then people can start pledging and i, I just I, we had so much fun with the chick-fil-a nuggets last year but we, we were very disorganized and we, we never done anything like that before so we're gonna be a little more organized with it this year so be planning on that after the early signing period 
and we were, were we'll have fun with it. Ari and I are probably going to be Ari, we're probably going to be screaming at each other by the end of that podcast. Yeah, no, I mean I'm going to just bring up bring out all the things that are negative about the expanded playoff just right off the jump again. <laughs> just <laughs> ranting incoherently. I'll probably be like, "Bring back the BCS." Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be great. Now the question is does the fast include no water? No, I think you have to be able to drink water. Okay. I, I, I think we, you, you get into a little dangerous territory if you're not allowed to drink water. So we'll, we, will, we will be drinking water. But that may be it. I don't, we, could, we, could talk, we could negotiate other things in, like black coffee or something if you want. Mustard. But mustard. Zero calories <laughs> in mustard. Cal- very low in calories. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> and good if you have cramps. So... <laughs> I have watched. I have been at high school games where some kids started cramping up, and they start squirting mustard down his throat. <laughs> so. It's good for cramps and uh, when you've eaten really spicy foods. That's at least what Dumb exactly. and Dumber taught me. <laughs> exactly. So we will we will do that. Be planning on that. You're going to hear a lot from us this week because as these jobs open and fill, there's going to be a hell of a lot to talk about. And then of course we've got a big championship Saturday coming up. Uh, the final playoff ranking, and it's new blood. New blood in the playoffs is coming. Cannot wait. We will talk to you again very, very soon. (laughs) 